Let's give God our greatest praise in this place. Come on, let's thank God. We are no longer in bondage. We are changed because of the gospel of Christ. It's good to be here. Why don't you help me thank God for our multi-generational choir. I love seeing our young people up there. Good seeing you all. Wow, I see you in the house. All of our musicians and our media team and you. Look at you. You look like you are blessed people. Uh, look like God has been good to you. And it's so wonderful to be here. But Craig, you know, we always say as a psalmist, this is the day the Lord has made. What are we going to do? We're going to rejoice and be, and be glad in it because God is doing some wonderful things among us, through us, and with us. Because anytime you have an encounter with Jesus, you will never be the same. I feel like I should say that one more time. Anytime you have a personal encounter, Kevin, uh, no one can have this encounter for us. This is a personal encounter. You will never be the same. And it's my prayer that you actually have that encounter. Kaz, I see you, bro. It's my prayer that, that God will bless us even anew that we experience him afresh in this place. Because God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you've been through. God knows uh, and he hears and he responds to what his children need. That's really the, the point of our message today as we continue to look at encounters through the gospel where individuals met face to face with Jesus Christ and how that meeting was transformative in their lives. You heard the pastor's scripture that was read from John chapter 4, that latter part that many of us remember as we hear it echoed uh, over the, 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 the span of time, that God desires worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That the time is coming where God will seek people who will worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. May that be our testimony on this Sunday morning, that when we gather in this sacred space, we gather to worship him in spirit and in truth. Because God has a gift of grace for everyone who's in this place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get to celebrate you, to celebrate your goodness, to celebrate how you, Father, have delivered us, and still now you are delivering us. That anyone who is, comes with chains and shackled by the concerns of the world, that, Father, you're still seeking the lost. And through you, we have salvation. And so we celebrate what you're doing, what you continue to do, the lives you continue to call to yourself. And we ask, Father, that you would help us in this moment. Father, that our hearts be receptive soil for the seed of your word, that your word might be planted deeply within our hearts, that it might produce fruit for your glory, that our transformed lives serve as a witness to others, that you are a miracle-working God, and that your grace is enough. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, I want you to understand something as we continue this journey. And that is that what Christ teaches us in the text is that he will go across boundaries. He will cross barriers to get you to have an encounter 
with his grace. I really hope that we get to see the magnitude of the love of Christ in this passage. As we pick up in that fourth chapter, where there is an intention on the part of our Savior to have a specific encounter with a special woman at a well. Some of you know the story, but I, I want us to really check the scene out. In that fourth chapter, beginning at the first verse, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Somebody help me for a moment. Say, he had to pass. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Zychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came down to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Uh Uh-oh. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour has come and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. Can you help me thank God for the word of God? In this powerful narrative, we see the extent of God's love to reach what society would declare are the unreachable. In this text, if you're with us on last Sunday, we were looking at a man who had an encounter with Jesus, a similar encounter. He had a conversation in a late night meeting with Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. Right there in the third chapter, we met Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a religious man. I want you to see the tension in this text. He was a religious man. He served the temple. He knew the Torah. He knew the word of God. And Jesus knew that he needed grace. And so Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, hopscotch over the the classism of society in this text, and now he's engaged with a woman. He's engaged in a conversation with a woman at a well in a place called Samaria. We're going to start here for a moment, Dr. Parks, because you know there's something significant just in that line right there that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Lorraine, we know then that because of his ethnicity, his Jewish descent, that Jews didn't commonly make their way to Samaria. Why? Because Samaritans were were considered at the time half-breeds. Uh, they were tainted by a history of when the Assyrians came in to Samaria and took captive all those who were residents, and then they intermingled with the, the, Jewish, the Jewish people, and as a result of it, they were intermingling not only in ethnicities but also in idolatry, and that idolatrous practice continued on that the Jewish community looked with disdain upon those who were living in Samaria. That people blessed by God would look at other people and judge them even though they themselves were receiving from God the gift of grace. These Jews would be so obstinate, so intentional to not engage people of a different ethnicity that they would take an extra 70-mile journey to avoid this city of Samaria. Let me show you on the map. Uh, they, 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 they would walk around Samaria, almost 70 additional miles. They, they, they would come from Judea. Uh, he's trying to go from Galilee to Judea, and he, they'd normally walk all the way around to avoid going to that place. Can I sit down next to you just for a moment? Since you said I can't, I'm going to talk to them because they, they, need, they need more help. Um, are there any places we are avoiding because we don't necessarily like the people or the places in which they are in that we ourselves intentionally avoid to go there, avoid to intermingle, avoid to cross boundaries, and yet we call ourselves Christians? Jesus now demonstrates Fred to us through his action and activity, the intentionality to go where others won't go, to do what others won't do. Why? Because everybody is in need of God's grace. 
And what I love about the text is what we see now in this conversation, which happens to be the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has in the gospel. He has with this woman at this well that in this conversation we learn that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Here she is, a Samaritan, and Jesus, weary from travel, made it his point. He intentionally sat at this well. I want you to see his intentions. He, he's weary from journey. He intentionally goes to Samaria with intentions to sit at this particular well, knowing in his omniscient that he had an appointment with a woman who would one day become his witness. He had an appointment with a woman that society would call wicked that he himself had chose to be his, his witness. He's sitting there at the well, and he's he, he sitting there is a demonstration how that one move dismantled classism, racism, segregation. That, that, that one move that Jesus, a Jew, would step into Samaria and sit down at a well that Jews wouldn't normally frequent, that they would even criticize him of being un clean because he sat where he sat. Jesus crossed the boundaries of society, crossed the boundaries of all the isms of society so that somebody might know of his love and his grace. Church family, if we are truly the body of Christ, then we too are called to do what Jesus does in this text and cross over the boundaries, cross over the boundaries of denominationalism, cross over the boundaries of ethnicity, cross over the boundaries of racism, cross over the boundaries of cultural proclivities, that we cross over the boundaries to show people the same love that God Christ shows this woman in this text. Now, I got something to ask you. What boundaries do you need to cross over that Jesus is compelling you to? Because there are people out there that need to know the God that you know. And listen, if it sounds like I get excited about it, it's because I can relate to the woman in the text. Many times we want to relate to the Jew, but the reality is all of us in here, if I'm not mistaken, are Gentiles. And so we were all outside the bounds of uh, acceptability in the Jewish community, and yet Jesus went to where she was. He, he went uh, to, to Sychar. He's sitting at Jacob's well, and He's engaging her in conversation. But George, before we jump to the conversation, I, I want you just to walk with me for a moment because this woman is coming to the well, uh, not in the cool of the day. She is coming to this well at high noon. She is coming to a well when no one else is gathered around this well. She, she is coming, and I, I wonder that as she is walking there, she's anticipating she'll be alone because she's used to being alone. Uh, maybe she's rehearsing in her mind what got her in the condition that she's in, that people now reject her. People who knew her now remind her of everything she had done in her life, and they wouldn't let her forget it. You know anybody like that? Can you see her now as she's walking through the dusty paths of Sychar, making her way with her empty jugs, trying to get to a well to get water at a time where no one else is able to see her? Can you see her? As she's walking there, perhaps concerned and lamenting over all the stuff that happened in her life, thinking nobody cares. 
Everybody judges me. Everybody is looking at me. Everybody's watching me. So I can't be personal with anybody because I can't trust anybody with all that I've been through. Can, can you see her? And she's making her way to the wheel, well, thinking she'll be alone. But Christ, who sees her, already set that appointment on his, on his heavenly calendar that on this day she would have an encounter with the eternal. Oh, come here for a moment here because I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the struggles you have in your life. But I do know that God knows. And there are times in your life where God will be sitting down, I love this, and he's waiting for her. He's sitting there patiently waiting. He's waiting for you to come as he intersects our lives with his grace. Because no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. He's weary because he is 100% God, but he's also fully man. He is human. He's weary, and he also can relate to some of the struggles that this woman may have had because he, too, had been criticized. He, too, had been marginalized. He, too, had been, been, been uh, uh, judged by the religious people, and yet he sees her, and when he sees her, he wants to use her. Oh, let me slow down for a moment here. Because it reminds us that our Savior is a Savior not only who cares, but he understands the struggles that you're going through. It's Hebrews, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, 14 through 15 verse says, Since we then have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Uh, Will, what I'm trying to help everybody understand is that we have a Savior who understands your suffering, understands what you're going through, and he cares for you. He cares about you, and so he's here at the well, and the woman comes. We, we don't even know her name. We know her reputation. We don't know her name, but Jesus knows her. I love that. Uh, that Jesus knows her. He spends time with her even when no one else would. He is conversing with her now, and he, he tells her, give me a drink of water. Right there, beginning at verse 7, where she's coming to draw water. Jesus says, give me a drink of water. She is perplexed because she's trying to figure out um, how is it she, I'm used to people uh, ignoring me. How is it that you, a Jew, would speak to me, a Samaritan? It's against cultural practice for us to talk with each other. I mean, we live in the suburbs. We can't talk to people in third ward. Now, now, how is it that you, a Jew, would talk to me, a Samaritan? Look at Jesus' concern for this woman as he says, give me a drink. I love the way Dr. Tony Evans said it, that Jesus was so compassionate, he was willing to put his Jewish lips to her Samaritan cup. He, despite what the mores of society does to dictate separation of people, Christ says he came for all people. And he tells her, give me a drink. She then says to him, I'm a woman. Jewish men, men didn't speak to women in this time, particularly not publicly. And look at what Jesus tells her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, let me work here for a moment. 
The word here Anthony used in the Greek text, this word gift, is a word of abundance that is uh, first used here, only used here in this context where God said, Christ is saying that what God has to give you is the greatest gift to meet your very need. I love it right here. He says, uh, if you knew who you were talking to. Uh, he, he sees her need, and she sees him, and she's thinking on the temporal. She's thinking on the fleshly, similar to Nicodemus. You remember? Uh, Nicodemus said, how can I be born of my mother a second time? Here, she's thinking of water. He's thinking of salvation, and he tells her, he says, listen, if you knew who was in front of you, who cares about you, who came all this way to meet with you, that you would have an encounter with him, you would ask him for living water. It's right here. This living water is a gift. Don't run past that. That it is a gift. It is a gift from God. That God is in position to give us what we need to reach the greatest level of satisfaction in this life that we live in. We call that grace. That's God's unmerited favor. That's God's willingness to do for us what we need done for us because we can't do it ourselves. Because reality is all of us in this life always try to pacify the greatest need. And we, we use other things to substitute it. But the only real satisfaction that you'll ever have is when you say yes to the gift of grace that's in Jesus Christ. I'm talking to somebody here who's already felt that peace, already felt that joy. Do you remember when you said yes to Jesus? how all of a sudden the burdens of your life were lifted. Do you remember when you said yes to him that how his love flooded your heart and you felt forgiveness for the first time? Do you remember the joy you had and the peace you had? It didn't matter what other folk knew about you at that point because God had you. And when God has you, you know that you're in good hands. I feel it right now because God says he wants all of us to experience this level of grace if you knew who was talking to you. He said, you would ask, knew, be in relationship with, knew, to get in personally with. If you knew him, you would ask. I hope you catch this. Because true salvation is found when we come to know him. And we ask him to be our savior. It satisfies our deepest need. But, you know, as the story goes on, uh, he's telling her of salvation. And then a woman uh, is still on the temporal level. So verse 13, Jesus says, if you drink of this water, this water, Jacob's well, then you will thirst again. Because this can only meet your physical need for a limited time. But if you come to me, Jesus says. There is nothing I can't fulfill. There's nothing that I can't satisfy. I love our Savior because I love him so much that it doesn't matter where you are, he can fit the need. If I had some time, I'd break down Maslow's hierarchy of needs so you can understand that Jesus meets every single need. I remember when they were hungry, Jesus said that I am the bread of life. And here he's saying, I am the living water. That if you come to me, I will meet the need. And I don't know where you are right now, but somebody, if we're honest about it, we need to get closer to him. He's been waiting for you. He's sitting at the well waiting for you today, and he's telling you that he has the living water that can satisfy what the world cannot satisfy. I'm mindful of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the second chapter in the 13th verse, God says, for my people have committed two evils. Look at it. He says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
So oftentimes in this society, the world and the devil always want to offer us imitations of God's grace that we, 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 we wrongly partake. And when we do so, we wonder why we still are not satisfied. We, we get the accumulation of, of accoutrements in life and we still are not satisfied. You get the house and you get the car, but you're still not satisfied. You get the promotion, but late at night something is still missing. You, you have the family, but yet there's still something still missing, something still a void that is within you that only Jesus can fill. When you find yourself in a place like this woman at the well who is suffering because her resume says that she has some immorality in her life and it's been following her. Don't look at her too closely because the reality is some of us in here got history that followed us all the way up in here. And Satan always wants you to not forget about what you're going through. And so what happens in this text is that she then hears Jesus and she shifts the conversation. Do you see it here? Jesus moves her from water to worship. I love the text because he tells her, he says, yeah, I'll give this to you. I'll give you the source. I am your source. I'll give it to you. But let's deal with you right now. See, this is why some folk don't like to come and, and hear this kind of word. Because when you come and worship, not only do you sing hallelujah, when you come and worship, there's some spiritual surgery that needs to take place where Jesus says there's some stuff we got to deal with. There, there, there's some stuff. Let me, let me deal with you. Don't nudge nobody right now. Everybody, online and in person, look at me here. He says to her, go get your husband. You heard it, right? You, you, you heard it in the text. She says, well, well I have no husband. And, he, and he, he says, yeah, I know you've had five. Oh. Five experiences with disappointment. You've had five husbands. Five experiences where it's either the grief of death or the grief of divorce. You, you've had five. We, we don't know what led to this context, but we know that it had to be a painful one. Can you see her trying to feel a need in a relationship after relationship after relationship? And she's tried to do it this way. I tried the married way, so now I'm going to try another way. Uh, it's in the text. He says, because right now you're staying with a man who isn't even your husband. He addresses the sinfulness, and you see the gravity of it, because we like to celebrate the, the greatness of salvation, but if we're going to celebrate the greatness of salvation, we got to see the greatness of our sin. To celebrate the greatness of salvation, you got to be able to see that, you know what, I was a sinner, I, I was wretched, I was undone, I was in darkness, and I'm not here by myself because I read the text, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Christ comes in salvation, and he says, even though you're broken, I can use you. Ah, I got to hurry on. I got to hurry on here. Uh, so Christ comes and he says to her, uh, you must be, be a worshiper. She uh, digresses in conversation and says, well, well, my father say we ought to worship in this mountain. You Jews say we ought to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus then turns to her. Now you have confession. You have uh, the identity of sin. And now Jesus tells her that there's someone who is seeking you. I love this text. He, he, say, he says, one, that the, God, the father is spirit and he's seeking those. Don't miss it. He's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't forget who he's talking to. 
He's talking to a woman who in this context is seen as a wayward woman. That's some other words for that, but we're going to leave it where it is. Uh, she, she, she's seen as a woman of ill repute, and yet he's telling her that the Spirit of God is looking for her. Come here, saints of God. God says right now on this day, he is still seeking you. Why? Because you can never be so far that his grace can't get to you. You can never be so low, his grace can't bend down and get you. You can never be where God is not, and God wants to call you to come and experience more of his grace. We sing it this way, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the Oh, yeah, so we relate to her, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I? Mm, do you see it here? It's his grace. He tells her that the time is coming and has come. We're true worshipers. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Ah, true worshipers will worship him. That I can move from being a sinner to a worshiper. I can move from being wicked to a worshiper. That nothing about me is so bad that God can't use me. I'm, I'm right there in the text. That there's nothing that I've gone through that, that, that it is, is so messed up that God can't mend back together. I, I, I'm feeling it right now. Rashad, you remember our conversation just in the back. We were, we were right there in the back getting ready to baptize. And, and Rashad and I were having a conversation. We were praying together, getting ready to celebrate in that baptism. And he pulled out a phone. I hope you don't mind me saying it, Rashad. Is that all right? I got your permission. All right, here we go. He pulled out a phone and, and, and he said something. He said, he said, he said uh, uh, my phone is cracked, but it still shines. Come here. I said, boy, you just preached to me. Uh, here's the reality here. That it doesn't matter what you go through. When you're in the hand of God, you can have some cracks, but his glory will shine through it. All you got to do is have your encounter with Jesus. <sighs> have you had that encounter? Because something happens when you have an encounter. When you have an encounter, he brings you in a state of worship, and when you leave that worship, you become a witness. I'm right there in text. Because there she was. She, she hears the Savior. She says, I know the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set all this right. And then he tells her in the text, he says, uh, I who you speak to am he. I who speak to you am he. She's looking for the Savior. He says, I'm right here, baby. She's looking for love. He says, I'm right here. She's looking for peace. He says, I'm right here. And then she leaves her water pots, run back to town to the very people who knew her, people who knew her background. And she says, come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. You're missing it right now here. Uh, she, she, she had an experience with Jesus. She had an encounter with Jesus. It transformed her life that she didn't leave worship the same, that when she went there, she was hurting for water, but when she left there, she was filled with the Spirit. When she went there, she went to worship. She had something longing, but when she left there, she felt the love of God, and she runs back. The same folk who judged her, and she said, it ain't about me. It's all about him. Come see a man. And when we leave this place, we ought to leave with that same testimony. When you go back home and you go back to work, you ought to tell them, come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. And he used me in spite of what I've done. No one is beyond God's grace. He'll meet you right where you are. Stand on over the building if you can. He'll... He'll meet you 
in your most loneliest place, he'll meet you. When no one else wants to go with you, he will meet you. That's our Savior. The Bible tells us if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. He wants to do that in your life. And if you want to have this encounter, if you want to experience his grace, say yes to him today. The Holy Spirit is speaking in this place. God is calling you. He's been waiting for you. And he's saying right now to you, see. Watch how he can satisfy your greatest need. Relationship. As we sing together that he is mighty to save, I want to invite you to leave where you are and come down here that we might pray that you too might leave out of here a different way. Holy Spirit is speaking, and he's inviting you to come. Whosoever will, let him come. Come on, saints. Let's pray for somebody in here. Let's sing God's praises so that someone today will say yes to him. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.